This week on episode 482 of Priority One, we trek out Star Trek's longevity, according to franchise captain Alex Kurtzman, and Lower Decks showrunner Mike McMahon takes a victory lap after season one. In Star Trek Gaming, we dive further into House Shattered. Gray takes us down memory lane with yet another Retro Trek game review, and of course, our review of the season finale for Lower Decks. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and the brand new official Star Trek Online Starship Collection at herocollector.com forward slash ST online. Save 10% with code PRIORITY10 at checkout, plus free shipping. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 482 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, October 13th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, October 16th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. I'm Tony. And returning in the audio booth but not doing any work is Skiffy. (laughs) That's right. It's like a day off. It's pretty great. Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you'll find us. Or email us. You can reach us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, engaging with you is part of the reason, actually, a big chunk of the reason for why we do this. This is indeed a community-driven podcast. Like Community Theater, all of us on this team, myself included, are volunteers. We donate our time and our talents to the production of this show. From myself to Tony to our audio editors, who are all talented individuals, they are passionate and find value in the content that we produce each and every week. Joining them are listeners who also find value in the content that we produce every Friday. Those listeners join us on Patreon, where they offer a financial contribution every month to make sure that we can continue to produce the quality content you've come to expect each and every week. And this week, we have a brand new patron who has locked themselves in to a whole year's worth of support. So thank you so very much, Roger K, for being a part of our Priority One Patreon family. Thank you so very much. Roger, Roger. Roger. If financial support isn't in the cards, don't forget about sharing our show to all your friends. Hit that like, retweet, and or share button when you come across one of our posts, or perhaps you'd like to join the team. Well, Captains, we are looking for new volunteers to join the production. Specifically, we're looking for audio and video editors. Additionally, we're looking for a live stream technician for when I'm not available. For more information, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com or email us. That address is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what places? I don't know. Then let's check it out. Alex Kurtzman is a busy man. 
Other than his work on the Comey rule and the upcoming Silence of the Lambs television adaptation titled Clarice, Kurtzman also works on a little franchise called Star Trek. This week, Kurtzman sat down with The Hollywood Reporter's TV's top five to discuss everything he's been working on. And while he may or may not be excited for his other projects, well, let's just say we aren't partnered with the Thomas Harris Podcast Network. Kurtzman spent a lot of time talking about Star Trek Discovery, which is of no surprise. The third season's premiere is set for October 15th, the day before this podcast airs. When asked about how long the series would likely run, Kurtzman was frank in both the series' praise and direction as well as in the showrunner's commitment to keeping Trek fresh. I'm going to say, in all honesty, there are years and years left on Discovery. And first of all, Star Trek in general has had a long history of going something like seven seasons minimum. And we just jumped into the future where we're, in a way, it's it's not that it's a brand new show, but it's a whole new set of variables with a whole new set of ideas and stories. And I don't think we limit ourselves to thinking, oh, we're, we're capped at this place. I'll tell you that, that when the show starts to feel stale to us, we will be rallying to stop it. Along those same lines, Kurtzman noted that he had plans with ViacomCBS for Star Trek that reached, currently, to 2027. When asked if he was afraid of oversaturating the market with Star Trek, Kurtzman expressed that he felt the world needed the franchise and that diversity in programming was the key to keeping it relevant. Short answer, I don't think you can have too much. But I think you got to be really curated and really thoughtful about what you're doing. I don't think you can just throw things at the wall. So, like I said, if you look at each show, different flavor. Very, very different. So, what do you guys think of Star Trek to 2027? I thought he only had a five-year deal. What? I thought he was fired. <laughs> this is this just goes back to the whole it's the horse that's pulling the CBS All Access cart. They've decided that this works for them, and unless something changes, they're just going to keep making Star Treks uh, as long as it keeps driving and maintaining the subscriber base. That's that's what it is. Sales are adequate enough, if not better than they imagined. If they want to keep doing it, I'll keep watching it. <laughs> so and keep paying your seven dollars a month. Yes. Uh, though I did thought I did think Kurtzman only had a five-year deal, but you know whatever, filming plus production. This is uh, this is a complex negotiation strategy known as assuming the yes. Uh, you may you may have run into this in your your, your various professional lives, mm-hmm. my, my fellow hosts. Yes. Oh oh oh, we still need to discuss that. Oh, it's not just assumed. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll go ahead and just. Um, I apologize. I overstepped my bounds there. Well, that leads us to our first community question. This week. Do you believe the Star Trek franchise is diverse enough to avoid franchise fatigue, especially if we're looking at another seven years of small screen content? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question posts on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Last week in episode 481 of Priority One, we talked about the New York Comic Con Star Trek happenings. But if you'll remember, we skipped coverage of the Lower Decks panel because it was spoiler heavy. You You've had a week to catch up, but if you still haven't watched the season finale of Lower Decks, and why haven't you yet, skip ahead to Star Trek Gaming because, spoiler alert. 
During the Comic-Con panel, showrunner Mike McMahon and the cast of Lower Decks talked about what happened in Season 1 and where their characters were heading for Season 2. Sans, sadly, Fred Tatasiori's Lieutenant Shax. There were some fun ideas on how to bring back the battle-hardened Bajoran, and discussion on whether he was really dead or just mostly dead. About halfway through the panel, the cast was joined by series special guest Jonathan Frakes, and that's when things got predictably spoilery. As it turns out, Frakes spoiled plot points for co-star Jack Quaid before the show even started. Started. I met you at a convention with our good friend Carl Urban, and I was like, uh, hey, I'm like such a big fan, it's so great to meet you. I'm actually on a Star Trek show that hasn't come out yet, and you were like, oh yeah, you come to work with me on my ship. And I flipped out because that was the first time I had heard about that. Breaks, you spoiler <laughs> machine! Unbelievable! Well of Riker and his appearance on Lower Decks, showrunner Mike McMahon stressed the character's fun attitude and joy. Lower Decks is an enhancement of things that already existed in Star Trek. It's something that was always there, but we just kind of exaggerated a little bit. And our Riker, he's the Riker who is expressing joy all the time, loves jazz all the time, is having a great time, you know, is truly in love with Deanna and they have a great relationship and they're on a ship together and we just wanted to imply this whole era of post-nemesis joy that they had being on the Titan and their own ship. And if you're concerned that Boimler will mysteriously find his way back to the Cerritos for the season 2 premiere, oh fear not, he'll still be on the Titan. Boimler's on the Titan, we don't undo that. We start the season, Boimler is on the Titan and you'll be <laughs> seeing... Jonathan, we're working together, man! <laughs> you'll be seeing Riker again yeah! at the beginning of next season for sure. We'll have a link to the panel in our show notes, so be sure to check it out. So we've talked a lot about how Jonathan Frakes is, in fact, just indeed a spoiler machine. He just can't keep anything. And last week, I think, we, we joked about he's a lawyer's nightmare, right? Because it's just nothing, he can't keep anything quiet. But we'll go into this more during our on-screen segment, but I do want to say this about his character. The way McMahon describes it in this interview and this panel, it was like they were trying to justify his demeanor and his levity. But what we saw in that episode was not unlike what we saw in First Contact when he's in the bar with Deanna or in Insurrection as he's feeling the youthful regenerative properties of the planet and the two of them are being so romantic and loving with one another. What I saw in Lower Decks was Riker. We'll save it for the segment, but very, very infrequently was I ever taken out of the story with Lower Decks and Riker showing up and being that way. I, nope, but that's smooth. It was smooth. Didn't, not, a, not a bump. My take on that is he was allowed to stretch his legs even more as a captain. Like, it's a little different when you're a commander and you're still answering to somebody, right? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, he was very exuberant, but I didn't think it was out of character. And again, we talked a little bit about this last week, how there's a very thin line between who Riker is and who Jonathan Frakes is, right? They've now kind of become the same. So, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I loved it. I don't think that McMahon needs to defend his portrayal of Riker in Lower Decks at all. This week, Mike McMahon took a season one victory lap of sorts, hitting YouTube, Variety, and Inverse to discuss what happened on and off screen during Lower Decks' first season. On YouTube, McMahon explained his thoughts behind using the packlet as the finale's big bads. We decided to use the packleds as our big bads in the finale of this season of Lower Decks because everything on Lower Decks is really a celebration of Star Trek. And my favorite parts of it are when we are referencing and reflecting on things that have kind of already happened in Star Trek. Now, it was really important to us that we didn't do anything that had any kind of earth-shattering canon repercussions. So an area we really like to play with is going back to aliens and locations from standalone episodes of Star Trek and doing sort of a where are they now. 
He continued those musings with variety before moving on to spoilers and cheeky possible spoilers. Quote, We'll see the Titan next season because Boimler is off the Cerritos and we'll be seeing Captain Riker again as well. Boimler has been talking about moving on to bigger and better things all first season and now we're going to see what happens when he gets what he wants. End quote. McMahon said Counselor Troy would not make an appearance in season two, but when asked if other TNG alum would join, noted, quote, That, my friend, I will not tell you. I would say feels like a pretty good chance of it. End quote. McMahon told Variety that the second season of Lower Decks would dive deeper into sexuality, Mariners specifically saying, quote, For me and for the writers, as we were making this, we didn't intentionally mean for anybody to be strictly heteronormative or straight or cis, as every Starfleet officer is probably at the baseline bisexual in a way. That being said, I am not the most amazing person at writing those kind of stories. I think we get a little bit better about it in the second season, end quote. I want to take a moment and talk about his decision about Pac-Lens. You know what that reminds me of, right? The That decision to pull from the one-off episodes? Every season of Star Trek Online ever. Gosh, that really reminds me of every season of Star Trek Online ever. Yes, yes. They're learning. They're adapting. Which is not a bad idea. It is not a bad idea at all whatsoever. I mean, some of those episodes are iconic and we never hear from them again. And then there are other episodes that are iconic and then it just they just you know beat it with a dead horse so yeah i thought that i thought that the packlet thing was a nice they don't beat it like a dead horse they beat it with oh, a dead horse <laughs> that's really wow. overdoing it they've really overdone it at that point that's wow i don't even know what i said and i can't even <laughs> Well, heading to Inverse, McMahon may have answered a question we've asked on Priority One. Could Lower Decks be an off-kilter representation of the Cerritos adventures through Starfleet gossip? Quote, if you're in Starfleet and all this stuff has happened, it would be like if you were in the military now and you were reading about or hearing about real events either officially or word of mouth through people who have been on ships or people catching up. There's so many people on these ships and of course they're going to talk to each other. They're going to take real life events and put those into media. I think what I'm trying to say is that there's no one unifying theory of communication. To me, it's more that there's going to be a mosaic of communication. These things are going to be popularized. There's things in the news. There's things you'll learn at Starfleet Academy. There's going to be stuff you hear rumors about. It's out there and it's going to be known. End quote. And if you're wondering about the first contact uniforms making an appearance on Lower Decks, McMahon has an answer for that too. Quote, I'm very fascinated with the idea that we have replicators that can make anything. But who's designing that stuff? It becomes like intellectual items. Like, why aren't they all eating Lincoln's last meal? The more you look at it, some ships have different stuff, which is why you'd want to get the thing with the purple stripe on it, which goes all the way down to uniforms. I mean, why is Starfleet even in uniforms? It's not to make them camouflaged, and they're not strictly military. It's representational of who Starfleet is, end quote. Gosh, these conversations do sound a lot like conversations we had years ago with Star Trek Online. But I'm sorry, I fundamentally disagree with the fact that they're not all wearing the same uniform. Like, if, it, if a new uniform is issued to the military, in in, moder- in present day military, like, that, that gets rolled out. And yes, there are variants for, you know, the desert, the desert version, the winter the arctic version but you would just push a button and everybody's ship's computers would be would be updated and it's like okay now go replicate yourself a set of these outfits and start wearing them effective immediately i invite you to google the current army controversy regarding the pinks and greens to discover how that's not entirely 100 percent true even in modern day okay 
Fair. And and the transition to the from the BDU to the ACU uh, 10, 15 years ago, whatever. I withdraw my comparison to present day. I still think in the future where they have replicators that makes everything they want and need, like like this is your uniform. Go. Even in yeah, even in the present. Even in the present, it's it, it's a hodgepodge. Even in the present. You know, I, there's something I, I kind of want to talk about, and that's the discussion about sexuality with these characters. Please do not misunderstand what I'm trying to say here, or that I'm suggesting that representation is not something that we need in television, because we absolutely do. I'm of the mind that if it fits the story and it fits the character's arc, then of course it should be discussed and they should be representative of whatever group they identify with. But I'm a little concerned about this fear that writers and producers seem to have about it, right? Write characters. Write relatable characters that people can identify with. Let it be natural in its writing. Do not put them in or do not shoehorn them into being one type of person or another just to meet a data point, right? That's not doing anybody any good. So if Mariner ends up being whatever, okay, so be it. But it should inform the story. It should inform her character. Otherwise, what we end up getting is another Dr. Colbert, right? That's all we end up getting. Colbert and 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 uh Stamets. It's a red herring. Let me make a let me make a bold prediction. Let me make a bold prediction. Can I make a bold prediction? Sure. In at the very last piece, spoiler alert again. The very, very last one of the very last scenes on uh, on the Titan, uh, there's a picture, like a little commemorative plate of ransom in Boimler's quarters, like off to the side. Yes, I did see that. Yes. I only saw yeah. that on the fourth time I watched that okay so okay i'm like i didn't see that my bold prediction derulio love triangle triangle between mariner boimler and ransom <laughs> maybe boimler maybe. no way yep well why else would he have a picture of ransom in his quarters oh he's got the hots that and they and they were in the quarter when he was lifting all the weight the quarters and lifting all the weights all right maybe that that might be plausible you heard it here first i could see retrospectively with deep space nine right and iris steven bear yes there were missed opportunities there very much so right whether you're talking about bashir and garrick's relationship or just bashir sexuality in general or dax what it means to be trill right all of these things were missed opportunities in, in deep space nine absolutely but in a cartoon, don't do it just to do it. And in future Trek, don't do it just to do it. Because we've seen what happens when you do it just to do it. You get fridged, right? And then you get brought back to life through magical Disney tears. Magical Disney mushroom tears. The, no, there's not a chance of that happening. These guys these guys have their beat down. They know what's going on. Just to, just, just picture in your head for a minute, Brad Boimler coming to terms with like having the hots for a dude who's a superior officer who just transferred him off the ship, who he already knows his best buddy kind of has a thing for Winky Wink. It's going to be Tony, awesome. Tony, 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 that is absolutely horrible taste. It's if, it will be if great. Anybody is gonna be if I'm gonna if anybody should be on a portrait next to my bed, it's gonna be William Riker. <laughs> or but that's his current or, captain. He can't do that. Or be Christopher Pike. And he's married. Yeah, Pike. yeah. Riker's married now. So then it would have been Christopher Pike. I would oh, have okay, had. Okay, I would have had. But he's dead. He's historic. He's an historical figure. That's now. what the holodeck's for. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> you have to clean the holodeck, so he would know, wouldn't he? <laughs> Ew. See, the comedy potential here is hot. Is just high. They'll 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 handle it perfectly fine even even though McMahon says he's not the best writer at it he's got a whole team of people that can that is that they are deft they are jugglers it'll be fine and lastly this week captains we've got some breaking news tonight thanks to our associate producer Shane Hoover according to NBC News affiliate Las Vegas 3 
the official Star Trek Las Vegas convention has been canceled. From the website, quote, Creation Entertainment, the company that brings the Star Trek convention each year, has announced that the December 2020 show is not going to happen due to pandemic-related reasons. The Star Trek convention will resume next year in Las Vegas on August 11th through the 15th at the Rio, end quote. Though we could not find any official release from Creation Entertainment themselves, at the time of this writing at least, their previous STLV 2020 page is no longer accessible, instead giving way to the 55th anniversary of Star Trek and creator Gene Roddenberry's 100th birthday in 2021. So to follow up on what uh, Cairo47 in the chat said, uh, Creation has in fact already sent out emails regarding this year's cancellation and already touting its return August 11th through the 15th at the Rio. Gold patrons are being offered uh, gift certificates, things like that. So if you did in fact purchase tickets for this year, keep an eye on your emails. If you are interested in a refund instead of letting your tickets cross over to 2021, you can contact customer.service at creation.com. And the deadline for refunds for the convention is October 27th. TikTok. You better you better consider that more like October 25th. If you want a refund, get it done by October 25th so that uh, you can get your money back for the plans you made to go to the convention this year. Well, captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Congratulations, high score. Captains, before we move on to gaming news this week, we need to take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Eagle Moss. Over the years, we've talked about Eagle Moss and we've even had them on the show. We've had conversations with Ben Robinson, who's in charge of all of the awesome science fiction goodness over at Eagle Moss. We've talked about their ships. We've displayed their ships. And in all the years, never once have I been disappointed by the quality of these die-cast metal and high-quality ABS ships. They are just stunning in detail. We've had them on display at STLV to share with passers-by, and they always ask, who are these by? These are gorgeous. Where can I get them? Can I buy them from you? And we have to say, no, let me introduce you over to Eagle Moss, who's over on the other side right here. Tony, you've seen these ships. You've held them. You've you own several of them. They are very faithful replicas of what you see on the screen, and they will grace your bookshelf. They're you know it, it's rare you'll find a uh, Star Trek enthusiast without a few of these uh, on a shelf someplace. So highly recommend them. And yeah, people did come up and ask about them when we were at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas. As Jake was rejecting the cheeseburger, I got him. We show up at Star Trek Las Vegas because of our long-standing connection with Star Trek Online, and Eagle Moss is. Is partnering with us now because of that long-standing association with Star Trek Online to bring you their exclusive ships developed in partnership with CBS and Cryptic Studios, the Gagarin and the Chimera. These are only available through Eagle Moss, and they are based on a careful study of the original CGI models from the video game. Each ship comes with a display base, a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, concept sketches, and uh, other stuff trivia, uh, ephemera, that you'll find about the ship uh, in the Star Trek Online Fiction. So, Kat, have you had the opportunity of actually holding one of these ships in your hand? I have not. And you know why? Because it's a slippery slope. Because once I get one, I know I'm going to want them all. 
That's true. It's true. Like, which one? Which one do you really want? I mean, how could you not want the Chimera? I mean, that's Nog's ship. I mean, it's, you know, tugs at your heartstrings because, you know, in Stowe, when you get to see Nog captaining that ship, it's amazing. I would love that ship. This is the problem. Like, once I start with one, I'm going to want every... I want all the ships. <laughs> Captains, you know that we do sponsorships on this show few and far between. Mostly because I don't ever want to be that Casper Mattress podcast. The sponsorships are selected specifically because we have faith in the company and the company has faith in us. They trust us and we trust them. I've had the opportunity many times over the years to talk with the folks over at Eagle Moss. They are dedicated to quality products. And their fans. And they're fans. Yeah, exactly, Tony. They're fans of the Star Trek franchise. So these die-cast models are as high definition and high fidelity as you could possibly get. These are the ships that you also want to add to your fleet collection. Make sure that you trek out the Hero Collection and be sure to take advantage of our exclusive coupon code. You save 10% off of your purchase with code PRIORITY10. Priority, the word, and one and zero. We'll have links in our show notes, of course. The best part of it is that these ships, $29. $29 for an Eagle Moss Chimera. A Chimera from Star Trek Online. A ship that was never seen on film, but in Star Trek Online. So if you're a lifetime subscriber and you'd like to own a physical copy of your Chimera, well, here's your opportunity for just $30, a die-cast model. And save an additional 10% with the code PRIORITY10. So again, just visit herocollector.com forward slash ST online. Links will be in our show notes. Use code PRIORITY10 at checkout to get 10% off in addition to free shipping. So thank you so very much, Eagle Moss, for being a sponsor on our show. And thank you for the amazing quality starships that you create. Newer captains may find it hard to believe and older captains hard to accept, but Cryptic Studios opened its doors before the NX-01 first left space dock. This year, Cryptic celebrates its 20th anniversary, and last week, tech business magazine VentureBeat published an interview with Cryptic CEO Steven D'Angelo. In the interview, D'Angelo shows off his toy cabinet, he has a Galaxy X model, not that we're jealous or anything, and speaks about 13 years with a game company driven by outside IP. Saying specifically of Star Trek Online, quote, Star Trek is a universe more than a storytelling style. We've tried to, like I said, give people an experience in that universe that captures the look, the feel, and the stories, but going for the diversity the universe offers." End quote. D'Angelo also talked about being STO's executive producer when it went free-to-play, the changing nature of the game's player base, and the company history in the MMO space as a whole. Link to the full interview is in our show notes. So, our special guests this episode, who joined us because we're watching a live stream, we're so grateful to have with us Thomas Maroney and Nick. Nick Duguid. Thank you both for joining us on this episode of Priority One Podcast. We're thrilled to have you. It's been far too long. So thanks for, for hopping on. Yeah, it's great to be back in Priority One. Um, you know, it's 20 years of Cryptic. Uh, it'll be um, in November, it'll be 10 years that I've been on the team. Nick just got his 15 uh, year coin for working at Cryptic. In January, it'll be eight. No, it'll be nine years since I started oh, wow. on Star. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it's incredible. incredible. You know, let's, let's take a moment here and talk about that longevity, right? 20 
20 years for Cryptic Studios. What has life for you been like for the last 10 and then 15 years at Cryptic? I mean, obviously they're doing something right, right? They're, they they keep their employees happy enough to, to be able to stay and, and want to continue to produce. The industry churns no matter what. So there are people that come and go at Cryptic just like there are everywhere else. There are, however, a, a fair few of us that have been around for a long time. And there's probably about 10 people that are still at Cryptic longer than I have been. And, you know, for my part, I, I can't speak to anybody else. For me, um, I like what I do. I like who I work with. And somehow they still pay me enough to live in the Bay Area. And those are the three things that I that I go through whenever I, you know, have considered looking elsewhere or whatever. And, you know, I could go someplace and maybe make more money or, you know, work on a different project or whatever. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy doing this. I like working on Star Trek. I like working with Thomas. I like being in what has been my home for so long. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, we have been, uh, it's been a good company. They do a lot to make sure that we, uh, you know, stay afloat. Uh, we don't necessarily have all of the luxuries that some companies have, but I would rather have a consistent paycheck than, you know, a fancy break room with uh, you know, a pool table. No Lamborghinis or hot tubs full of cocaine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hold on just a second. I've seen that break room, and there is a wall of games in that break room. So I think you're in heaven to some respect. Yeah. No, it's not saying that it's terrible. I'm just saying, like, it, but most of those games, I think, have all been bought by cryptic employees and brought in to play amongst ourselves. It's not It's not the company, you know, making an entire huge, you know, place. It, it's great that we have that. I'm very glad for it. But I'm, I'm saying that there are other companies where they, you know, might have a swimming pool and a fitness center and a whatever else. There are a lot of tech companies that definitely go to lengths to be extravagant and sort yeah. of burn through cash incredibly quickly. Um, it, it spend irresponsibly, and that's not how Cryptic has lasted for so long. You know, we um, we've been lucky to have a CEO like D'Angelo for I don't remember. I, I guess he's been with Cryptic for 13 years. He's been CEO yeah, for the last five or six. And um, don't forget, he was the the EP of Stowe for uh, many. Been years EP of Stowe for twice. Um, for twice. Uh, <laughs> for twice. Two times. Um, but he's a he's a very even keeled guy um yeah. he's very he, he usually has a plan he uh always looks at the data is very well researched so you know cryptic i think has gotten by in a very volatile industry because everything that we do is very well thought out and measured and you know there have been ups and downs but uh but generally we you know we, we know what our business is we keep refining it and that's helped us kind of um survive in a way that place that many people haven't so let me i, I want to ask this you both have been there for over a decade now. Uh, Thomas, you are lead ship and UI artist. Nick, you are environment artist there. If you could turn back or look through a mirror to your younger selves, what would you say to that young developer, to that young artist? Depends on the on what age, I suppose, but but essentially just keep going. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> don't stop what you're doing. You're on the right track. I think it's similar. I mean, there were times when I was kind of like, I, you know, I kind of uprooted my whole life to move out here um, to go be a graphic designer uh, first, you know, working in the marketing, um, the marketing websites for Atari back when we were still owned by Atari. And then eventually I got pulled over to DUI and then I did UI for um, uh, four or five years. And, um, you know, there were times I think when I got discouraged, when I had imposter syndrome, when I was just like, you know, at, was this the right choice? I mean, it is expensive out here. It is. I lost a lot in some ways by restarting my career. Um, I had been at the university I was at for five years, which is a good, good tenure, you know, to get, I didn't have tenure. 
I wasn't a professor, but you know, it's a good amount of time to kind of establish yourself at a place, at a workplace. And uh, and so just knowing that I was able to to do what I am now, I would say, you know, keep at it, keep your head down, keep doing what you're doing, um, and uh, and you know, you'll be you'll be proud of the work that, that you've done on the game. Well, thank you both for sharing those uh, that retrospect with us. Thank you so very much. Captains, be advised, the Trek Nuggets in this segment may spoil your dinner. Meaning, spoiler alert, proceed with caution. Last week's season finale of Star Trek Lower Decks captivated us with drama, tragedy, callbacks, comedy, you know, all that jazz. While the show take it the way R.I.P. shacks, it might also give us Stowe players something they've wanted for a very long time. On October 9th, the official Star Trek Online Twitter account dropped a screenshot of the in-game Titan and quoted its swinging captain's call to action. Admittedly, this doesn't explicitly say what's going on with the Titan in 2411. Cryptic may have simply been capitalizing on the ship's newfound public awareness. However, we had it from Ambassador Kale himself that there's something coming from Lower Decks soon-ish. But he couldn't tell us about it, lest he spoil a surprise in the last episode. It's hard not to imagine a T6 Luna class is finally in the cards and its holodeck has the Bourbon Street bar already loaded. Or maybe we're getting little Horgon ground devices for the upcoming Tilgana 4 map. So I, after doing the interview with Mike last week, I watched the finale with very keen eyes, right? Because I don't know, man. I don't know that it's going to be the Titan. I don't know that we're going to see the Titan in Stowe, like at least an update. Maybe, maybe not. But I started thinking about all the other stuff that could possibly make it into the, the game. Like, for instance, Spock's helmet is officially yes. like, like, let's yes. just get it in. Spock helmet. I, I don't know, man. What? Plus <laughs> Nick, Nick, we know you have the reference model. model. We know. What would that be? Plus 50 perception? Plus 50, you know, knockback resistance? What? What would that be? <laughs> Plus 50 perception on your enemies spotting you. They can see you from 50, 50 miles away. <laughs> yeah, <now>. Right. Antenna's <laughs> six feet in the air on the rotating red line. It just yeah. generates threat. I just hope that we, if, if, if we put it in, I hope that we put it in with the actual <laughs> sonic sound that it made because it was really obnoxious. <laughs> it's like, you think it's going to be like siren, like bee-boo, bee-boo. No, it's like, eh, 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 eh. We should definitely, we should definitely have the spot coming in game. Nick, was that seen on screen before? No, never. That was the whole point is that it was a, it was a toy that they, that they made in the seventies that, um, the company just slapped the IP on. They, it was an existing toy that had nothing to do with Star Trek and they just slapped some stickers on it and called it good. Right, right. And now it's a Star Trek helmet, right? Cause everybody remembers that from Star Trek. So no, it was never seen on screen until last week. And I want to know what makes it contraband. That's the other challenge. <laughs> that's the other challenge you guys have. Right. Yeah. Why couldn't she? Uh, why is that point. outlawed? That's a good why point. Why is that outlawed? That's a really good point. <laughs> the other thing I thought was we're going to get we're going to get universal ships. Like I thought to myself, oh, you know, because the pack leads just take pieces from other ships. We're going to be able to kit bash everything. <laughs> oh, God, you're going to make Thomas cry. Don't do that. What I need you to do is I need you to take all the ship pieces and put them with all the other ship pieces <laughs> that they have. Come on, oh, Thomas, it's easy. Is. You have all the parts already. Just put them together. Together. Yeah, it's right. fine. You have all the it's fine. Anchor points. You're good. Just it's just like a spreadsheet. Cryptic needs to buy a Vorian right. and just incorporate that. That's actually a, a really good question to ask. Why can't 
that happen, Thomas, in the game? So you know, in the in the Taylor, when you go customize your your dude, right, your or your lady or your non-binary character, you have uh, if you're an alien, you have a certain amount of parts that you can use on your face, right? If you're a human, you can't use all the alien gen parts. If you're a Vulcan, you can have the ears, but you can't use the Klingon forehead or whatever, right? And so the way those filters work, they filter all the parts you can't use for your species. Um, it's it, it's called a, a species, right? So um, ships are kind of built the same in the same system. Ships are using the same system on the back end as the people characters, where um, the galaxy class is a species. And so the galaxy class has built into the species the galaxy saucer, the venture saucer, the monarch saucer, whatever. But it doesn't have access to all of the other parts because those parts weren't tagged for the galaxy species. Um, so in order to add other parts to different ships, to add all of the ship parts, for example, to every ship, we'd have to manually add each individual piece to every like every ship species. And um, uh, there's a, a couple words that we use interchangeably when we're talking about ships and characters on the back end, which is species or skeleton. So I'm gonna I'm gonna split from saying species to saying skeleton because it's a bit more accurate in terms of like how the character system is built. But essentially, um, there are two skeletons for player characters, which is the male and the female skeleton. For ships, there are hundreds, right? Because ev- pretty much every ship uh, gets its own skeleton. It uh, every ship family, excuse me, gets so so the intrepid family is a skeleton, and the galaxy family is a skeleton. Um, and then you have things like the Miradorn Raider, which is a one-off. It is still its own skeleton, but you know only the Miradorn Raider parts are on that skeleton. So so to get to be able to combine all these parts together, you would just have to add all that stuff to every ship skeleton in, in the game, or create one mega skeleton that would look ridiculous and terrible. So have you tried? Have you tried to do a mega skeleton or something? You have, haven't you? What, I what mega skeleton? Like the Packlet ship, might I point out? Late at night when everyone's gone home and it's just you and your computer at two o'clock in the morning, you're like Frankenstein's in the lab, boys and girls. <laughs> the, the Voltron of ship design. <laughs> It's just out of just out of frame, but there's a giant switch right, on the wall. No. Right there. I mean, Nick, Nick did that with the Thunder Cougar Fal- Falconbird in the Foundry. But, but that didn't need skeletons. That was literally just Geo stacked on top of. That. I haven't tried it because it's actually quite a bit of work just to get it set up right in the first place. It's it takes it takes a full day to to import a one ship's piece of data, you know, like all the pieces of data, into the game. So it's not something that you can easily just like, oh, I'm just going to do this real quick. It, it does it doesn't happen quickly. There's a lot of manual labor that goes in manual labor that goes into setting ships up and so um unfortunately so it's it's not something we can just experiment with teacher guy is asking wouldn't this massively increase load time if every ship was that customizable um i don't i don't i mean i don't know if it's all the parts that we already have like you still have to load all those parts normally it's not like you would have all of those parts loaded all the time but this right every player costume in the game is loaded when you load the client um but the skeletons would be more expensive i guess if you had that many bones or whatever to it right yeah you need to add a bunch of bones that aren't necessarily on every ship. Um, it's called a skeleton because it's made of a bones, and so like on the galaxy the saucer's a bone, right? And then um, not just the saucer, but like the windows are a separate bone from the main saucer hull, and that's because, you know, you can be you could swap out the windows and the left. And it's called all of this because it's based on a character system, and so all of those things could be you know, flapping and doing things if we put animations right. on them, which it really is. Thomas, I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the beautiful Titan, right? So without confirming, you know, that Crypt might have something on the pike for a tier six, blah, blah, blah. Let's just talk about the history of the Titan for a moment. Well, before we get into that, I mean, I will say, if you go, if you look at that that screenshot that, that the STO thing tweeted, and then you take a screenshot of the Titan in the game, you know, you can draw your own conclusions about 
what that means. <laughs> ah, okay. Duly noted. So duly it's, noted. it's worth some further examination. Let's talk about the history of the Titan a little bit. You know, this was a model created specifically for a novel, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, um, there was a fan contest. Actually, the fan co- contest for the Titan inspired the Design the Enterprise F contest for SDO. Um, because the Titan one went well, CBS said, hey, that went well. We got a cool ship out of it. Why don't Cryptic, you know, for designing the Enterprise F, why don't you go back to the fans again and um, and, and try that whole thing? And again. then we've never done it ever <laughs> and again. We've never done it then. Um, but, um, but yeah, so uh, Sean Toronjo, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, was the winner of that design. Um, and it was a big to-do, right? Because it was after Nemesis. I think everybody knew there wasn't going to be new Star Trek on TV for a long time at that point. So the Titan novels were sort of like, this is what Star Trek is going to be for a while. I mean, aside from STO, of course. So, you know, the, the ship was, I think the first novel happened, then they had the design contest, and I think of the second or third novel is when they revealed the way the Titan looked. And I think it had a, you know, it was on the cover, they had a cool graphical flyout with like plan views of it and everything. And I remember going through the, looking at the other entries, and I felt like Sean's was the best. Um, it had a really cool uh, modern Starfleet take on it. And then it, it's just sort of languished in beta canon for the last um, I don't know, 12 years or however long it was. Yeah, getting from there to here. No. <laughs> no, period. There is, in fact, a Luna class in Star Trek Online, so you could, in theory, play a, a Titan. Yeah, 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 and we we got that. I think we got permission from CBS to use it. I mean, that was before my... It was a launch ship. Uh, you know, the T... I think it was the first T5 science vessel that you could get. Um, and... Um, I, I feel like a lot of the ship designs kind of came off of that, too, or were, were very similar. Mm-hmm. The early ship designs, I mean, were, were similar to that. Yeah, um, but it, we haven't touched the model since then. Um, it's, you know, it just kind of been there, um, lost in the cacophony of, you know, T6 Oberth, T6 Nova. All right, so uh, what else could po- we possibly see in Star Trek Online from that finale? I, you know, uh, Advisory Panda put in uh, a badgie boff. He says that it immediately makes your ship self-destruct, but I would argue <laughs> you, send, you send badgie over to the other ship. Right. It's like a boarding party kind of thing. You send badgie over to the other a ship, boarding and then he just pops, he pops up in an animation above the ship going, ha ha! I'm gonna blow you up. Um, like a badgy, a badgy matrix, badgy viral matrix. I personally want to see the adventures of Peanut Hamper out in the universe, someplace wherever she went. It, it's like a mini Voyager, right? She's trying to get to someplace <gasps> the home. Yes. To get you, I'm, I hope stuck. that she comes back, kind of like Lore did, right? Because they left Lore floating <laughs> in space, and he, ironically, he got picked up by a pack led transport, um, and then yeah. and then uh, came back to menace the Enterprise. And so I hope I hope we see the revenge of Peanut Hamper. Um, you know, a what, next season. She you guys, wasn't like cast out. She left on her own accord. But. You guys need to de- you de- please do this. Just somewhere on the map in sector space, just have her floating. <laughs> and then it's just like an Easter egg hunt. Where where where's Peanut, where's Hamper. Peanut Hamper today? Well, they did that with the the Sally Sally yeah. Ride, right? Yeah. Sally yeah. Ride is around. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. and I will say that. I may have put in a lower decks Easter egg in space someplace already. It is not Peanut Hamper. Ah. It's something from an earlier episode um, that you should explore. Like, oh my god, logging in right now. Gotta go fly around. Alright, let's go on to the next story. Synthwave. Hopefully you've had a chance to play House Shattered's new TFO, Synthwave, since it was released last week. And if you have, you might have noticed some of the escaping ships really 
seem to like the Utopia Planitia Starbase because they never leave. On October 9th, the official Star Trek Online Twitter account also confirmed that ships were in fact getting stuck within the Starbase, which means they could never leave and the TFO could never end. Cryptic says it'll fix the issue with the October 13th patch and the event will be extended by another week to make up for the bug. Apparently, you shouldn't let homicidal AIs write your holodeck code. Now, this is interesting, right? Because I've been playing it all week and yeah, uh, I, I don't think... I think, let's say out of the 10 times I've played them, seven or eight of them were bugged. But I was also trying to get more specialization points because I haven't been playing in a long time. So I was like, well, hey guys, yeah, keep firing, keep firing, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> let's just stay here for an hour. So captains, hopefully now that the patch is in place, you will not experience these problems and you'll be able to log in. But to give you a brief recap, what was happening is one of the frigates would get lodged under the starbase and you had to collaborate with your team and say, hold your fire, right? So that so that the synth ships would then attack the frigate and blow it up. And yes, there was that one penalty that you would get, or uh, not, not really a penalty. It just didn't help you earn more marks in any way, shape or form, but you would have to sacrifice a frigate to the to the bug gods. Um, but now the patch is in place and hopefully you won't experience that. Aside from that, um, Kat, what are your thoughts on the TFO itself? You know, your experience playing with it and your experience playing with it with members of the fleet. I'm really enjoying it. I think for the most part, everybody's enjoying it because it's a little different than what other TFOs offer. And so anytime, you know, stuff gets switched up, that's exciting. So um, we really like playing it as a group so you can coordinate and, you know, work to get the marks bonuses by saving more uh, people and saving more transports and defending them against the synth. So I like playing it as a team with the fleet. But, you know, the, the random TFOs that I've been in, you know, for the most part, when the bug is not happening, it, it goes pretty smoothly. So I'm really enjoying it. You know, I was thinking as I, I was playing the TFO, one thing popped into mind, and I think I tweeted about this, and Nick, I think you replied, the TFO might have been a bit cooler if it was on the surface of Mars. Uh, because, you know, during the promotional marketing uh, campaigns for Star Trek Picard, we saw these attacks, right? And we saw them, for the most part, in these marketing ads from the ground up. So we saw the synths attacking the bases from below. And then I rewatched the one episode where they kind of talk about it in Picard, the Picard episode, but I also watched the short treks. And again, it was very bottom up. It was like, oh, they're raining fire from above kind of thing. And I thought to myself, gee, would it, you know, it would have been cool to have experienced this whole thing on the ground, much like that one Jaula TFO. I, I'll, I would counter that a little bit. I think there are a total of three shots that we see ships up close doing damage. And two of them are looking up from the ground and one of them is the ships attacking a starbase. So I think that there's both. I think they were attacking everything in on Mars, both on the ground and in orbit. Um, how, hard, continue. how hard is it to, um, so I know, you know, obviously you guys are compartmentalized, right? In, in so far as how missions are created, but let's take, for instance, the Joula map, right? That one TFO where you're on the surface of the moon. You mean to hell with honor? To hell with honor. Yes. Thank you. When creating a map like that, is that, is a map like that easier than a space map? Is it, you know, completely different functionality? Um, to Hell With Honor wasn't 
a ton of extra work. It is more work than doing a space map, uh, for sure. And to hell with honor was kind of a test. We'd never done a, really a ship flying over the ground. We did what is it, the Romulan shuttle mission where you're fighting the walkers. We've done a couple of things like that, but not a TFO. I don't know if the Dyson Sphere counts. Yeah, the, no. the Dyson Sphere is even weirder. So we've done a couple of them, but we've never done a TFO. We've never done anything where you're really like low and slow over over the surface, firing at things on the ground. Um, it worked. I mean, obviously, I think it was very successful, but there was a fair bit of work to get it functional and to get it performative. That was just making basically rocks <laughs> and, and terrain. Um, we had, we did make some new Klingon shipyard and turrets and things, but they were fairly small and we could repeat them a lot. Um, if you look at those shots from Picard, there is like a city that is being attacked on the ground and making that would be a lot of work um, and making it, you know, it look anything like what we saw in the show. I, I think that would be cool to go fly totally. low over Mars or well, whatever, but I think it couldn't be the fiction around it would have to be very different than what we actually did with with uh, Synthwave because we know where the shipyards are in orbit of Mars. Like we know that they're in pretty high orbit, um, and so to defend those or work with those, it wouldn't make sense to be flying that low like you are in To Hell with Honor. Yeah, and and one of the things that we specifically said with To Hell with Honor was that um, the planet that you're on, Beta Lankol something or other, um, basically it was a moon of a planet, and so we could say that there was no atmosphere. Mars has a very thin atmosphere, but most Starfleet ships, or at least some Starfleet ships, aren't really built to fly in atmosphere. So it would make sense maybe as a shuttle mission or a fighter mission or something. Um, if we were going to do a ground version, not a ground version, but a low a low oh, orbit, right. you know, in atmosphere version of uh, of this, where you're actually just like Bears Canyon back <laughs> home. That's right. Get, get your T16s out. I'd love that. I have to admit, I think I'd love something like that. Or even you know, if we, I think it'd be fun if we brought the battle home. It's kind of like bringing the battle home a little bit, right? It's it's ours. It's our solar system. Yeah. You know, we knew we know that Utopia Planitia is there, and you know, our solar system has been expanded. It would be cool for sure. And you could do some cool things because then the the or like the blasts and stuff would be totally different. Like it would be on the horizon. They could be yeah, huge. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do some interesting stuff with that for sure. We, yeah, um, we did some of that like orbital orbital bombardment stuff on the Terray colony um, in the Delta Quadrant expansion. I think one of the things that we have to we've we've been thinking about a lot i mean kind of in the back burner for a while as a team but it's just not as fun to fly shuttles like just because you don't have your abilities and stuff like that and so we don't want to make shuttle content because nobody is excited about flying shuttles like compared to all the other ships that you do want to fly and so i think that's been a struggle for us too we have a lot of cool ideas for shuttle content shuttle missions and we've even prototyped some but like it's just you know we don't people like flying their big actual starships and jumping out of a sh that to do a shuttle is kind of a bummer, what you should so. do is offer a ridiculous amount of dilithium for people to do it and then and then that would fix that you think just just to have better rewards uh, would be I, th I think you'd find that the curve bent that way if you could get extra marks for hopping in your shuttle for 15 minutes especially if you made it a small piece of a bigger mission or or half the team had to fly shuttles like you could take turns like three people in the big starships two people have to be in shuttles that kind of thing make it so that people would can switch roles back and forth i don't think i've ever had more fun to star trek online than when 10 shuttles ganged up on me and my odyssey my only odyssey first came out if he was there <laughs> that was a good time <laughs> a lot of fun awesome well i think that about wraps it up for star trek online news this week but captains the world of Star Trek gaming is vast and varied, and we want to spotlight some previously released Star Trek games, whether to celebrate a classic or make a new introduction. We're slingshotting around the sun for our segment, Retro Trek. Now, here's Gray with another Star Trek video game. 
creating a temporal vortex. Time travel. We've done it before. Sure, slingshot around the sun, pick up enough speed, you're in time warp. If you don't, you're fried. The future is the past, the past is the future. It all gives me a headache. Get him back! Get him back! I'm sure you know the old joke. Picard, Riker, Worf, and a yellow shirt beam down to a planet. Guess which three make it back? Well, Star Trek Voyager Elite Force 2 sets out to answer that question. If you think you're experiencing deja vu, then don't worry, it isn't a time loop. We have indeed been here before. Elite Force 2 is the sequel to the previously covered Elite Force. It sets out to tackle broadly the same goals, and indeed succeeds in broadly the same fashion. Pushing forward the timeline a little, the game opens during the, insert your own descriptor here, Voyager finale endgame. Then, picking up a few years later, we board a post-Nemesis Enterprise-E. Bring me a rifle. A somewhat bittersweet setting, as all the other senior staff from the Enterprise-D are gone. Tuvok takes a temporary assignment to Tactical. I suggest you contact the ship's counselor, Lieutenant. You appear to have anger management problems. And Reg Barclay is now the chief engineer. Warp core explosion imminent. Also present are most of the Hazard team from the first game, with most of the same voice actors. You might think that the game is a little light on recognizable talent, but don't worry, several Star Trek veterans lend their voices to the game, including Jeffrey Combs. There's an old Romulan expression, snapping two necks with one squeeze. Born Armstrong. I've seen Denebian slime devils with better looks than you. J.G. Hertzler. Your blood flows nicely from your body. And Tony Todd. Lieutenant Monroe, I have a new toy to show you. Released in June 2003, Elite Force 2 improves or adds complexity to most aspects of gameplay from its predecessor. Fully implementing the tricorder to interact with the environment introduces minigames to reroute power, modulate force fields, and other tasks. It also gives the player several different view modes to aid in finding the various secrets strewn throughout the game in the guise of hidden areas or little golden excelsiors. Despite being made on essentially the same engine as the first game, Elite Force 2 manages some impressive improvements. Instead of the 9 weapons of the original, Elite Force 2 brings it up to 15, and even introduces melee with Monroe occasionally wielding a batleth. Improved graphics, animations, and even more interactability than the previous game are the strengths of this second outing. A particular highlight of the game is an early mission where you board a derelict Excelsior class, Swamped in Shadows where either ruptured and sparking conduits, or the ominously flickering red L cars to light the way. This spooky, atmospheric setting reaches its climax as you approach the bridge, but the scant lighting starts to fail deliberately and sequentially towards you. On the other hand, the game has a more mundane story that ends before it feels it truly begins. You are locked into being the male Monroe, whereas the first game gave you a choice, Weapons that much more closely resemble their real-world counterparts and thus lose their originality and fun are the big disappointments of this game. Not to mention a much more limited multiplayer that truly fails to capture the enjoyment and spirit of the first. In conclusion, a somewhat tepid sequel. Elite Force 2 has a mostly okay story with mostly okay controls and weapons. A very disappointing multiplayer culminating in a game with not much replayability. So if you've never played it and liked the first game, you should check it out, but don't go in expecting too much. Now, let's look on screen for the latest episode in the Star Trek multiverse. On screen. On screen in 5, 6, 7, 8.
We've heard from those old scientists on Beta 3, but Scythe sales are still up, and unlike legacy civilizations, the fact that Captain Freeman is Mariner's mom hasn't been forgotten by Boimler. Everyone f***ing knows it. The USS Solbang meets an untimely end, which Steve and I think is an inside job, but not before a distress call is sent. The Cerritos responds to a terrifying, deadly enemy, the Packlids. These Packlids really want to make things go. Go boom. Mariner's got a plan to save the day, though. She'll need some help from a psychotic educational program, the new Exocomp Doc, and her old pal Rutherford. She gets one and a half of those. Rutherford and Security Chief Shax head to the Packlid ship for the explosive finale, but only Baby Bear makes it out more or less in one piece. Three Packlid ships warp in to finish off the Enterprise when another Enterprise comes to the rescue. This Enterprise lands a Titan-ick blow on the bad guys, and Captain Riker and Counselor Troy celebrate with a round of drinks and a brand new helmsman, Lieutenant Junior Grade Boimler. Break out your very normal size, not little, Horgon. We're going to Talgana 4. Alright, Captains, so let's first get through some of the statistics for this episode. First up, this episode was written by Mike McMahon, directed by Barry J. Kelly, and premiered on October 8th, 2020. All right, captains, let's uh, go round table. Skiffy, you've been gone for a while. Why don't you tell us what you thought about the episode? First of all, because I've been gone for so long, I've been thinking that every episode since episode three has been the best one they've made. And this continues that trend. I think this finale was flawless in its execution, in its storytelling. The episode was elongated. It was a little bit longer than their normal episodes. It was allowed to stretch its legs just a little bit and still kept my attention the entire time. I wanted more by the end of it. And yeah, I know that some of you have issues with the storyline of... No, it's just me. Oh, just you. I know that Tony has an issue with the (laughs) storyline of the captain being the mom, that whole relationship. And I got good news for you. I think it's over. I I think that was the weaving thread of story, as light as it may have been, through the entire first season. And I think this represents the end of that storyline and the realization that that everybody is now aware of it and it's not going to be a big issue in season two. That's my that's my thank God going into the next season. I didn't mind it. I loved it. I thought they they played on it well. You know what? I compare that whole arc to season two of Discovery with Spock. It was oh, I didn't like that either. Yeah, the buildup was unnecessary and overplayed. And in the end, it didn't really matter. Exactly. The reward wasn't uh, wasn't payoff was there. All right. So, Cat, why don't you tell us about uh, your thoughts about the episode? Why don't you first tell us what your favorite scene was? There's so many of the awesome things, of course, you want to reference, but I mean, seeing Troy and Riker, Peanut Hamper, Badgie. (laughs) I mean, there was so many great things about this episode. I mean, I love how it starts with the whole concept of, hey, you know, there's these places we've gone to, but we didn't follow up. And now they're back doing the crazy stuff we thought we got them to stop doing. That's fantastic, (laughs) Landrew. (laughs) Did you notice how the term TOS is now canon. Yes! And those old scientists. So good. Mike McMahon is amazing. I just think, wow. Every, every, yeah, Skippy, exactly like what you said. Every episode, I'm like, oh my God, this is my favorite episode. (laughs) 
know? But this one is so it just hit in all the right spots. And I don't think there was a least favorite. No, one. I mean it was. Did you all have a least favorite? Great, I I didn't really. I even forgave them for the mother daughter thing. Did the hole they dug themselves? They dug themselves right out of it as quickly and as painlessly as possible. I I loved it. Yeah, because the fact they're just overheard and she's like, yeah, that was fantastic. Everyone on the bridge is like, oh crap. There was no hemming and hawing. There's no should I shouldn't have. It was just a complete and total random accident because Boiler took off his badge and they beamed yes. him. I mean. So, uh, does Captain Mommy give you a sweet little Captain Kisses? Yep, okay, sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's like. You're just yeah. like classic. Captain Mommy gonna tuck you in? Captain Kisses? I can't even say I hated that. I can't say I hated how they wrapped it up. No, that that's that's the tone of the show and how they've built all these characters up. No, that's exactly how it should be wrapped up. That's that, that was it. That's the exact. There's only one possible way it could have happened, and they did it. Good job. And uh, and again, yeah. once again, I love the whole episode. So I don't have. So, Tony, you don't have anything to add? I, I have one thing to add. My favorite part of the episode was when they went in to go get the contraband out of the ceiling. Right here? Yep, great stuff in that one. All the way in back there? Yeah. You did How much back. contraband have you hidden on my ship? I don't know. A lot. And they stole the Star Trek II music. And it was perfect. They, it's, they, and you'll, you'll know it when you hear it. didn't notice that. It, I'll have to you, you'll back to know that. it when you hear it. These people, everybody on this team knows Star Trek backwards and forwards, and they know exactly what they need in every piece of the show. When the moment happens, they're like, we need that bit from the music from the Star Trek 2, and they're like, oh yeah, we need to do that. I'm gonna let's have to cut, let's that. cut the animation scene to the right length and hold the focus on the camera for the right amount of time so we get enough bars in so that the music can play right. <laughs> Just everything they do is gold. Referencing that same scene when the triple falls out, and then they refer back to it later. A triple, that's, that's personal for personal use. use. <laughs> <laughs> what I did you it. think, Elio? What are your thoughts? Deep breath. Deep breath. You have to admit it. You have to admit it. You have to. All right. No. I loved you it. Did. I did. You did. I did. I think it was <laughs> perhaps one of the best episodes Star Trek has ever delivered in the history of ever. Now, what? it goes in the classic way. No, it really does. It's very, it does. it's very, it really it's hyperbolic. It's hyperbolic of me to, for no, me to say that. I don't think I so understand at all. That. So let me, let me break it down. <laughs> He's not exaggerating. And it's asking if you're a Mary Universe. Alien. No, he's still got a goatee. No, I still have a goatee. So let's strip away some of the biggest moments of the episode. Arguably, the biggest is when Riker swoops in on the Titan. Let's take away the pack-led threat. Let's remove those things for a moment. And let's just look at how the episode was presented. This episode had its Star Trek Easter eggs. For instance, the TOS joke. It's always weird revisiting planets from the TOS era. TOS? It's what I call the 2260s. Stands for those old scientists. You know, Spock, Scotty, those guys. Seems like they were stumbling on crazy new aliens every week back then. 
But those jokes were worked into the conversation and the plot. They weren't just shoehorning and throwing in Star Trek Easter eggs like Super Troopers doing the meow joke. And that's what I, how I felt for the first several episodes of this season was that they were just saying things. I mean, I, we talked a little bit about this during the Inquisition episode where at the very end, he's like, drumhead! Moments like that, th they're not creative. You're just making a joke and you're just saying things because you can. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't like this show. Then these last three and a half, four episodes or so, like Tony said, they started to kind of get a groove where the absurdity was toned back. We stopped seeing absurdities like a universe shattering koala bear you know we stopped seeing these random things that just didn't make sense and it became more cohesive things started to streamline a little bit even the jokes started to streamline a little bit better where it didn't feel just let's make a star trek joke to make a star trek joke so again taking away the packlet thing taking away the titan thing let's let's talk about the characters over the last three or four episodes there was a better juxtaposition between boimler mariner tendy rutherford and then the bridge crew right the bridge crew started to mature in comparison to how we were introduced to them in the first and second episode that everybody aboard the cerritos were just assholes we started to see the bridge crew develop and here in this particular episode and the last the bridge crew started to be adults and i think we needed to see that we needed that juxtaposition in order for the humor to land more so here we have this episode where mariner and boimler are still doing them they're still them but the captain and the bridge crew are now faced with a red alert something's going on and they become the bridge crew so i appreciated that and that's one of the reasons why i think this episode landed it was a combination of laughter and then shock while i was watching this episode and then pure joy when when Riker swoops in and we talked a little bit about this in Trek It Out about Jonathan Frakes reprisal of the role he swooped in and it wasn't a caricature of Riker it was not a caricature it was Riker but like Skiffy pointed out he's the captain of his ship now he can be he can let his hair down a little bit more he can be a little bit more relaxed he can crack jokes with his bridge crew. And because of that, he's the kind of captain that I would serve under. A captain that knows how to instill and inspire motivation and an eagerness to be a part of something bigger. But you know that when hits the fan Riker's you know red alert we got we got things to do there's a time for fun and there's a time for seriousness and I think that what their representation of Riker was not a stretch it was not a pie in the sky idea of what Riker would be or a caricature but instead kind of the, the Riker we've come to know because like we've mentioned before Riker and and Jonathan Frakes are kind of one and the same now this episode was so well formulated so well delivered that you've spent like six minutes straight talking about it. It's that good. I spent six minutes. I've been dude because I, I watched it like ten times. Not only because I was watching it to prepare for this, but because I loved it. Because it was great. Because there were moments that I yelled yes. And man, Shax's death. That whole sequence is some of the best television I've ever seen. Please rewatch that. That sequence starts off with him going, "This is the best day of my life." And you know why he says that? Because the. 
He's gonna die. This is what he lives for. And he picks up Rutherford. He tosses him over the shoulder and he runs down those corridors. He's living his life, man. And then he slams on that console on the shuttle when he doesn't have to, right? That's the joke about it is that hitting the console harder is not going to make phasers go stronger, and, right? Like that's. And again, they use the old timey TOS phaser sound effects, the pew pew guns, the tiny, tiny right. pew pew guns. So his slamming the console is completely off the off the charts for the pew that happens. With the, uh, off the charts. And that yeah. sequence was one of the best sequences in the history of Star Trek. His death. Look, it's second only to Spock. Second only to Spock, in my opinion. He he knows he's going to die. It's the best day of his life. He's ready for this. And he gets on that ship. He fights. I got you, baby bear. Pushes him out. And the last moment we see Shax is with a pack lead in a headlock. And he laughs. He chuckles in pure joy because this is what he's lived for. This episode was great. It was great. Great, great, great. I got you, baby bear, is the new you have been and always shall be my friend. Right. Yes. Yes. Isn't it? Isn't it? It really is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was. This just this. Rutherford. It's, I, I mean, I can go on. A, I can go yeah, on. Yeah, but you shouldn't because the segment's already pretty long. So, I don't care. universally I don't fantastic. Care. I don't care. Look, when I've been, does season I've been two start? on this show this whole season, and so finally I can oh. be really excited about it. When does season two start? It's the only question I need answered now. Oh, not for a while, probably. I, fingers crossed. Again, let's, let's talk about our overall arching thing here. Star Trek is the horse pulling the all-access cart. They've already, they ordered season two when they ordered season one. So, theoretically, as soon as Discovery season three is over, they should have Lower Deck season two ready to go in the pipe. I could see them doing a short treks, lower deck short treks, some somewhere in the middle too. Oh, maybe to tide people over. I could totally see that. Are they filming Strange New Worlds officially? Or? No, I don't think it started filming. I don't yet. think it's filming started. Uh, no. mm. Wait, is there a release date for Prodigy? Mm-hmm. No. What about that moment where they get the captain to the to the med bay <laughs> and to Anna? <laughs> Sorry, I mean get her to the med bay. Yo, I cracked. <laughs> I was up, dying. Man. That was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, so many. Moment. I can't even remember them all. They're so funny. There were a lot. There was so a it, in the dialogue, like like you said, Elio, how they managed to sneak in things in dialogue that make sense. They talk about Captain Freeman Day, like, oh, this is not going to go over well on Captain Freeman Day. Yeah. I thought that was great. When the Titan shows up, it's the TNG, uh, mm-hmm. one of the movie soundtracks. I couldn't tell which one, but it was the TNG uh, theme from a movie. It's the Titan! Oh, no! That's your motion picture, no? Well, it, the motion picture is a lot slower than that, but it's probably. But it, it, Freaks is in this episode. I bet you a dollar it's first contact because Freaks that was Freaks' oh. big first big uh, first big Star Trek movie. He did Insurrection too, but but first contact. Huh? I, I loved the uh, the comment about changes to the Cerritos. No, no, I don't want any cosmetic changes to the Cerritos. Are you sure? Because I could add some jazzy reflective panels and be- No, I hate it when a ship gets repaired and comes out looking all sovereign class. 
here's here's our chance to design a better ship while it's in dry dock and they just throw it all away. Oh, it's like, Freeman was go, like, no, no. no. To all the people, to all the people that complained about the design of this ship, no, we're sticking with it. And she's like, no, I'm tired of every time a ship great. comes out, it comes out like another sovereign. Yeah, it comes out like it can look at all sovereign class. Yeah, I, it, yeah, it, the ship is ugly on purpose. There's a, it, it is on purpose. But I, I, but I, and I have to say that even though it's an ugly ship, they know how to do the beauty shots for it. They yeah. know how. Oh yeah, they proved that last. Well, episode. but on this one, they're, it's flying through the debris field, and then the other one, the the solving blows up. I mean, and they, they you know it gets battle damaged on it and all that. Kind of, I mean, it's a terrible, terrible, ugly design, but they know how to get the most out of it. You're supposed to love this ugly ship. That's what you're supposed to do. Can we talk about the fact that Riker was playing the Enterprise finale again on the holodeck? I don't oh, think it was yes. again. I honestly don't think it was again because if you listen to the dialogue it's again, right? Again, no, he's like I was. Just, they were in TNG uniforms in the finale of Enterprise. Yeah, but no, oh, no but you know they, what? No, I yeah. think that's an oversight. I think that's an oversight. If you listen to the dialogue, it I interpreted it as he was he was starting the story, right? Like he was he was he started the journey with them. So it wasn't the end of Enterprise, and we weren't yet. Now, that's a good point, though, and that might have just been an error or an oversight that in Enterprise, he was wearing a TNG no, uniform. No, no, no it's, it's no? again. You it's think he's watching it again? again? Yeah, no, and, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, I thought Deanna was like, really? This is, they were both in like, TNG outfits. They were on the Enterprise. Yeah, they were on the Enterprise. They were yeah. definitely on yeah. the Enterprise D. Yeah. This, is, huh. this, is, this is them. This is an, a callback to the Enterprise season four finale when the show got canned. This is the no, end. I, I know it's hang, called Just hang on. Hold on. This is the season finale of season one of Lower Decks, and they know season two is coming. They're not canceled. This is like, you know, we don't just send Riker to the holodeck to watch the Enterprise when we when the, can- the show's going to be canceled. This is just a thing Riker does. He just likes to hang out on the... On the it's not <laughs> well, just... You the, see, now, now is, I don't appreciate I that joke it. anymore okay. because I don't care, doesn't... but that's because that's what it is. I know you don't care. That's what it is. Whatever. Yeah. I don't appreciate the joke now. Good. I ruined now I one like thing for joke, him. Yes! Like that, yeah, they ruined the one thing. I ruined the one thing for Because I thought him. that he was... I thought that it was... He was going on that journey now. No. But if you're saying to me that that season finale of Enterprise, he's still on the Enterprise D, yes. and he's just watching it again... Then that's a shoehorned joke that didn't, they could have done something else there. That's an they audience. Done oh, I loved it. Or no, I, I loved the shoehorn joke. I thought it was uh, hilarious uh, that he. I don't. I that, that this is now a trope of yes. him that he just goes back to the holodeck and replays it over and over. And, and over. it's a this wink to weird, the audience. Man. It's an audience wink. Mm-hmm. It's an audience wink. Where you know season two is coming. We don't just send Riker to the holodeck to talk to Captain Archer when we're going to can the thing. I like. I like that. I did not yeah. read that yeah. into it, but I that, love it. That's the kind of deep cut McMahon is capable of. Uh, he, I love the Wolf Three. Five nine was an inside job. Changes aren't real. The Dominion War never happened. There were, there were like three things. I don't remember the three things he uh, said, but he's there Dominion like War things. didn't happen. Changelings aren't real. Dominion War didn't happen. Changelings aren't real. And Wolf Three Five Nine was an inside job. Those are the three things. Yes, it's a classic. That's amazing. God, that guy it looked like Fletcher. <laughs> yeah. Overall, yeah. I I would say this episode. Eight eight and a half out of ten. Eight and a half out of ten. It, it lost it lost half a point for the Enterprise joke. Now that you've explained it to me, uh, I still give it a nine point five. I I've got to give it a ten or oh. a, or at eleven because it nine was nine point flawless. nine point nine five because I still hate the mom thing. Ooh, but they they fixed it as best they could. They fixed it the, they fixed it the right way. That wraps up this week's on screen for Star Trek Lower Decks. We look forward to next week as we start a new adventure with Star Trek Discovery season three. Give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. Oh, the jazz. Warp.
Well, that wraps up episode 482 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, Gerald Bosch, Joshua Selig, and here's a shout out to our newest patron, Roger. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon family. And here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. Up first, do you believe the Star Trek franchise is diverse enough to avoid franchise fatigue? Also, in gaming, what Lower Decks content would you like to see in Star Trek Online? Story missions with the Beta Shift? Talgana 4's location map? The Dog? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Moss, but is also supported by our patrons through Patreon.com. During times like these, we are humbled by the continued support of our patrons, for more information, visit patreon.com forward slash priority one. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to our surprise guests this week, Thomas and Nick of Cryptic Studios and Star Trek Online. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Speaking of Gray, another thanks to him for a wonderful retro Trek review. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. Engage.
I record. All right. This is Elio. We are not doing Audacity then? That's just oh, we are doing answer. Audacity too. Oh, we okay. are. Oh, All right. Okay. So you want to count us in then, probably. I'll do that later. Oh, oh Nick, say, say your name, Nick. <laughs> My name, Nick. All right. Say your name, Thomas. My name, Thomas. Say your name, Cat. This is Cat. Sync too. Awesome. Say your name, Skiffy. <laughs> uh, this is Skiffy. I haven't hit record in edition yet. That's fine. I get it. I understand. Tony, <laughs> say your name. Your name. Great. Thanks. All right. Now for the hosts that are on that are regularly <laughs> on the show, uh, we're gonna we're gonna hit the big red button in three, two, one. This is Elios. Actually, no bother syncing. Everybody hit the red button. There's no need to sync. <laughs> Just back up. Are you just glad just you invited up. us on? This I am. See, I am. I am very much so. still need to so. for audition. <laughs> no, we don't. Now, if we That's all hit record, if we all hit record at the same time, Skiffy will be fine. Skiffy, seek for it. We're doing it live. We're doing live. This is the right. symphony of organization that really underpins our entire production. Emotional. It's really great. This is preparation is the cornerstone of this organization. We've heard from those old scientists on Beta 3, but scythe scales are Look, still up. Scythe scales. Scythe. Scythe. scythe damn it. I knew I was going to screw that up. Oh, but I just got my new scythe. Red hour. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.